Welcome, it's indisputable, I'm your host, Rashad Richie. good to be with you. We have a lot on the agenda today. Breaking down news of the day, none other than Sharon Reed, anchor, host, commentator extraordinaire. Should be a fascinating breakdown. In the bullpen, Commissioner Marvin Arrington Jr. out of Fulton County, where Atlanta is. Will be in the bullpen with me to talk about Boleg, an ATL story. I'm actually in this movie documentary. It's about civil rights and the movement that made Atlanta, Atlanta. Top story of the day. This is what Republicans do. They change the laws when the laws do not fit them. A move under the direction, I guarantee you, of Donald Trump and his cronies. A move in the state of Georgia to limit the power of the district attorney who is currently investigating Donald Trump. I kid you not. Now remember, this investigation in Fulton County, Georgia is a very limited investigation into what Donald Trump did in Georgia, which was meddling in an election. That is a no-no, it is a statutory dynamic, it is illegal. When she talked about Fonnie Willis, when she talked about the scope of the investigation, here's what she said. I don't plan on specifically coordinating with the uh, Department of Justice. What their investigation would be is obviously election fraud that may have occurred any place in this great country. Mine is much smaller. It, a big investigation, but much smaller. I am only looking into election interference in the state of Georgia, and more specifically, uh, things that they asked for around that call that occurred in my county, Fulton County. Let me give you the jurisdictional standard here. Donald Trump was in DC. He makes a phone call to the then and current Secretary of State. The Secretary of State by constitutional dynamic of the state of Georgia also operates as the chief elections officer. He calls the chief elections officer, that guy Raffensperger recorded the conversation. In the conversation, you heard Donald Trump clearly try to convince the chief elections officer to transform the outcome of the election. That is against the law in the state of Georgia. You have two different laws. One. If a civilian tries to do it, there's another law. If a government official attempts to do so, you have a felony version, you have a misdemeanor version. All right, that sets your jurisdictional dynamic. The office of Raffensperger is in Atlanta. Atlanta is in Fulton County. Bonnie Willis is the DA of Fulton County. Everything in Fulton County comes under her jurisdictional control, even if there's an element of shared jurisdiction. Let's put up the tweet, Truth Social. Donald Trump calling the DA racist. He said, and I quote, the racist district attorney in Atlanta, Bonnie T. Willis, one of the most dangerous and corrupt cities in the US, is now calling the Georgia legislature, of course, racist. Because they want to make it easier to remove and replace local rogue prosecutors who are incompetent racist or unable to properly do their job. This is a great development for Georgia, but also other parts of the country. Congratulations to the Georgia legislature for having the courage to act boldly, fairly and fast. 
So he put this on Truth Social in record time, by the way. We all know Donald Trump doesn't read a damn thing, he's told. So someone told him this bill was about to pass. And then he engaged in a strategy after telling them what bill he would like to see. My conclusion, there's more. The New York Times reported that the Georgia Senate voted 32 to 24 to pass a bill sponsored by Senator Randy Robertson, Senate Bill 92. The bill would create an oversight committee with the power to remove elected district attorneys who have committed what they call willful misconduct in office. The GOP is also trying to pass a bill filed by state representative Houston Gaines that would allow for the recall of a DA, DA with only 2% of the vote, 2% of signatures. The amount of signatures currently needed is 30%. Let me explain what they're doing, okay? You're going to have at the end of this probably up to five different bills. These five different bills will have separate committee assignments and they will go along very separate track. Very difficult to trace all of them. And then on the last day of session, last day of legislative session in Georgia, they will combine these bills under an amendment rule. That amendment rule will allow all of these bills to merge together and pass under the guise of other legislation, making it difficult once again to understand all of the laws that are being passed. That, that's the reason you create multiple tracks for basically one law. It's trickery, they're very good at it. Now let's talk about how the 30% to 2% drop impacts pretty much every DA. Right now, if you wanna recall a district attorney in Georgia, you must get 30% of signatures of those who are registered voters in the county. That's how it works. They wanna lower that to 2%, why? Because anyone with money can get any DA recalled at any time they choose. That's why. You know, it takes a whole lot of money to get 30%. It takes a little money to get two. They want to make it easier for those with money, influence, power, control, corporate connections, etc., to eliminate a DA from office. There's more. Willis is soon expected to announce whether she will indict Trump for voter fraud. And she called the GOP maneuver to pass the two bills prior to her announcement racist. She also noted that the majority of people in Georgia live within the jurisdictions of 14 minority prosecutors. That is true. For the hundreds of years we've had prosecutors, this has been unnecessary, said Willis, whose district includes most of Georgia's capital, which is Atlanta. But now all of a sudden, this is a priority and it is racist. Now remember, where did this legislation come from? Did it come from some overwhelming concern for members of the community? No. Did it come from a ground a movement, a grassroots movement? in order to somehow grant more power to the state? No, it's actually antithetical to the Republican Party's platform. Less government overreach, more local control. They are literally going against their own design based on their platform directive. In order to do what? In order to limit the power of Fonnie Willis. But it's not just Fonnie Willis, you see, Republicans are very good at creating, as I have said, the boogeyman. In this case, the boogeywoman. In order to get massive legislation passed that will impact everyone. For the DAs 
who hear this throughout the state of Georgia, let me remind you, this law does not simply apply to Fulton, it applies to you. If you allow the state to do this without pushing back, without utilizing your influence, power, lobbyists, etc., please understand you think they're knocking on your neighbor's door, but you're next. There's more, let's put them up. Georgia, Senator Bill Kalsert on the left, also called out Willis saying, for you to come in here and try to make this about racism. That this bill is directed at any DA or solicitor because racism is absurd and it's offensive and it's a racist statement on its own. Wait a minute, he said you're wrong for calling this uh, racist and your comment is actually racist. But the first person to use the word was actually Donald Trump. Uh, so all of you all are saying racist, there's more. Willis also told, uh, was told by Republican Brian Strickland uh, that she was being emotional. So that's the young fella, I actually know uh, Strickland had um, high hopes for him as he came into the legislature some years back as more of a moderate. Uh, he's now obviously drinking the Kool-Aid, I should have checked on him earlier. Willis began investigating the former president, Donald Trump, after what? His actions, a phone call was recorded of him telling the Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger and his attorney to find him more votes. So look, all I wanna do is this, he says, I just wanna find 11,780 votes, which is one more than we have because we won the state, said Trump in the weeks after the 2020 election. So what we are going to do here, folks, I only need 11,000 votes, fellas, I need 11,000 votes. Give me a break. Willis said further on the GOP bills to the Atlanta Journal Constitution, and I quote, is targeting me and maybe people with similar ideologies and wanted to replace it for ideologies that don't represent the majority of the state's population. It seems to me that what they're really saying is that there should be local control until we don't like who the locals choose. Exactly, it's happening in Jackson, Mississippi. It's happening in Atlanta by way of what's called the Buckhead Movement. It happened in Stockbridge, Georgia. It is happening right here in Fulton and it will likely happen in your jurisdiction as well. Now, let's talk about the Democratic response, utter BS. You see, Republicans give their people laws. We give our people speeches, press conferences, an email blast. At some point, Democrats have to be okay with power. They beg for it every election cycle. Vote for me and I set you free. We can do this together, hope, change, etc. And then you get all the chips beyond what was probable. The state of Georgia gave you Senator John Ossoff. The state of Georgia gave you Senator Warnock. Because you said that's what you needed to change things, but you didn't. The reason why people on the right are still excited about their leaders is because the game and the language of politics is actual policy and law. They're talking the language congruent to the position. You're not elected to give speeches, it's good if you can. You're not even elected to give me or anyone else some kind of moral directive. It's good if you are able to, you are elected to make laws. You are a lawmaker. 
All right, Sharon, thoughts here. But Dr. Richie, I'm glad that you gave us the history of this one. You know, the full origin, because I was hoping, I say sarcastically, that perhaps we could have called this the Ahmaud Arbery bill. Mm. Remember Jackie Johnson, the disgraced DA? Yep, is she still right. she's still getting special treatment, by the way? Has she been arraigned yet? I get it. The law doesn't apply to me when you are a powerful one percenter, a white male. And if it does, I'll just change the law. It's that simple, right? Is that the good summary or am I making it yep. too simple? That's exactly what's happening. And once again, not the sentiment of the community, not the sentiment of the majority of citizens in any state. Mississippi didn't want what happened to them. Jackson didn't want it. Atlanta doesn't want it. Most voters in Georgia, they do not want this. Republicans do not care. All right, we will follow it as it continues to develop. This legislation is happening now in Georgia. And if it passes all chambers, it will be signed into law, I believe. Elementary school teacher, insane, used a chokehold on a student. And she's not the only one. Let's put the picture up for a mass. Math coach, Stephanie Sanabria has stepped down from her position at the Brookside Elementary School in Connecticut after police arrested her. Because according to her, she demonstrated a chokehold maneuver on three different students. And she caused one of them to lose consciousness, okay? The incident with the student occurred last month. Although the teacher was only arrested and charged for it on Friday. Her bond was set at $20,000 and she has a court appearance coming up Friday. The teacher has since been hit with charges of second degree strangulation, first degree reckless endangerment, and risk of injury to a minor, that's according to the local police. The student who passed out was treated by a school nurse and did not suffer any permanent injury. Let me give you another similar incident, let's put the picture up. This is Mika Deloach, a Houston teacher's aide is now wanted by authorities because she allegedly choked a five-year-old student. They said the incident happened on September 2nd, 2022. When Deloach was a teacher's aide at Patrice Mays Institute last April in New York, a New York school teacher is facing multiple charges after allegedly choking a 12 year old student. Chester Hingle, 45 years of age, is charged with endangering the welfare of a child and criminal obstruction of breathing, according to the NYPD. The incident happened. At IS 2017 School of Performing Arts, where Hingle allegedly choked the child for roughly five seconds. Also in New York, this happened in December. An elderly substitute teacher was busted for choking a Queens Middle School student during class. The victim told police he was in his fifth period class and walking to the garbage to throw out an item when the class sub, Vernon Jerome, 77, suddenly put his hands around the kid's throat and held on for about five seconds, authorities said. The boy did not report any injuries and was not hospitalized. The teacher was arrested and charged with criminal obstruction of breathing and acting in a manner injurious to a child. That's just the tip of the iceberg. You have to agree, I don't care what political ideology you may subscribe to. You have to agree, choking children is a no-no, right? 
Okay, when are Republican lawmakers going to present some kind of legislation in order to remedy that issue? See, this is a real problem, it's actually happening all across the country. They want you to think that the biggest evil is critical race theory or perhaps an advanced class in African American studies or having conversations about members of the LGBTQ community. These are distractions typically. What they're trying to do is create a scenario that's a cultural dynamic rather than a true policy dynamic. Real children are being impacted adversely by criminal conduct of teachers. The answer from Governor Ron DeSantis in Florida is what? To make it a third degree felony for a teacher to bring an unapproved book into the classroom. This is what they're doing with your money, making up ridiculous ass laws when real children are suffering. At some point, this has to come to a head, right? We have to actually get back to the policy dynamic, protecting children, the best way to do so. All right, sharing thoughts here. I'm at a loss, Dr. Yeah. Ritchie. I did, till the student was unconscious. Three students and one had to fall unconscious, be treated by the nurse. And you mentioned Florida. I don't know what the penalty would be for bringing that book into the classroom. Her bond, though, in Connecticut for choking out the kid, $20,000. And I don't even know if she's turned herself in yet. Okay. This is astonishing to me. We need good teachers. And now perhaps they'll have to sign on the dotted line that they will not choke out their students. Yeah. And unfortunately, and I hate to say this, but it's true, some teachers don't get reported. Because of that, that good old boy network that exists in the community. Mm. All right, we'll follow these stories as they develop. A man is saying he's happy that his grandfather was cleared, but it was 73 years later and the grandfather is no longer here. Let's put it in the picture for a mask. Once again, miscarriage of justice. Clarence Henderson, a black Georgia man, was wrongly convicted and sentenced to death three times for a murder he never committed. While Henderson died approximately 40 years ago and ultimately spent five years behind bars, his record was not clean. It finally was wiped clean 73 years later. Let's put up the great grandson. That is Clarence Henderson's great grandson, Brandon Henderson. He told Fox 5 ATL this week, I wish it would have happened sooner. Brandon grew up hearing stories of his great grandfather. And as he got older, began advocating for the DA to have the record wiped clean. Clarence's life took a turn for the worse on October 31st, 1948 in a place called Carroll County, Georgia. According to court records, a white couple, Carl Buddy Stevens and Nan Turner were on a date that evening. While out, a masked man abducted them both and attempted to rape Turner. Stevens fought the man off so Turner could escape, but Stevens was shot amid the fray. Turner reportedly told police the man sounded like he was black, and I quote, Without any detailed description, police started searching for black men they believed to be Stevens' killer. All right. Uh, a year and a half later, the police search found its way to Clarence Henderson in the city of Atlanta. 
you're in 1949. Clarence was already known to the police according to Atlanta Journal Constitution reporter Chris Joyner, who has written a book on the case. This book helped bring light to what happened. Police tried to pin the shooting on Clarence Henderson by claiming a 38 revolver found in a pawn shop belonged to him. Although the bullet used from a nine millimeter automatic gun, police claimed Henderson filed down the bullet so it would fit into the 38 revolver found at the pawn shop. Henderson was arrested on December, uh, in December 1949. Police found a rusty file in his home and claimed he used it to file bullets prior to October 1948. Now, in a court of law, we will call all of this um, circumstantial at best, uh, but not even that. Hell, who did not have those things in their home during that time? All right, there's more. Uh, Clarence Henderson was a sharecropper, had no known connection to Stephen. At the trial, despite Henderson's alibi, he was home with his wife, an all white jury found him guilty. He was sentenced to death. He had his first trial for one day. He was convicted in one day, Brian Henderson said. Civil rights activists helped Henderson with his appeal. And the Georgia Supreme Court overturned his conviction due to lack of evidence. During his second trial, Henderson was convicted again, sentenced to death again. However, the Georgia Supreme Court again overturned his death sentence. But you know what they did not do? They did not hold those who fabricated the evidence accountable. You see, they're overturning these particular convictions because they are aware that evidence was manipulated, fabricated against them. the proclamation of the prosecutors were inaccurate. Uh, the evidence was fake. Those things are against the law. So while they overturned the conviction, they decided not to go the extra step of getting rid of the individuals in the industry of lawyering or prosecuting for justice. There's more. After a third trial, count this, one, two, three. After a third trial, conviction and another death sentence. Just imagine living and you got three separate death sentences in your lifetime and you committed no crime. Henderson would again prevail. Why did he prevail? Because of appeal, okay? Um, after that, his case remained on the dead docket. I'm gonna explain what that means. Where a prosecutor postpones a case indefinitely but does not dismiss it, Henderson was never acquitted of the murder conviction. Now, why would they dead dock the case? They dead dock the case because of numbers. If you dead dock a case, you don't have to say you had to either A, drop charges, or B, you were wrong in the prosecution. It does not go against your, let's just say, statistics. All right? So they dead dock the case. Not dismissing it, but putting it in the back burner, saying they will not prosecute it currently. Let's put up the guy, 2022, all right? The book was written by Joyner. Joyner's 2022 book on Henderson's case would end up in the hands of Coweta County DA, John Herb Cramper Jr., who previously had never heard of the case. On January 6th, the DA asked the judge to dismiss the murder charge against Clarence due to insufficient evidence to prove guilt beyond a reasonable doubt and on the grounds of double jeopardy. The hearing was held on March 2nd to officially dismiss the charge. Brandon Henderson said on the dismissed murder charge, and I quote, he died 
with that. He died with those thoughts. He died with that shadow over his head. I wish we would have had that day where he was able to hear all charges have been dismissed and you're free to go. Let's put up the picture of the great grandson, good man. Dear brother, you are the personification of your great grandfather. You come from his loins. Everything you have heard, he has heard too, because you're living part of his life out through your existence. You value what he values, you believe what he believes. And his truth is now your truth, and it is now our truth. Believe me, brother, he heard you. All right. This is why. This is why. Put up the DA. To the DA. You didn't have to do this. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And thank you for not kicking it down the road. Thank you for being a thoughtful individual when the information was presented to you. Thank you to the writer who said this is a story worth writing. And thank you to the allies in the civil rights community who got this done. Sharon, you know, name, reputation, those things still matter, right? And this great grandson fought and fought and fought knowing that his great grandfather, even though 73 years later, deserved to have his name restored. It's a beautiful story, but it should have never happened. So the same elements that happened in 1948 are happening right here in America in 2023. Thoughts? They are, and so many. And I too share your praise of this young man. His grandfather is smiling, but you're right. And I want to seize upon what you said about those who falsely accused Mr. Henderson, mm-hmm. right? All those years ago, and all the heartbreak and shame, and none of it was true. You know, it's like, the, the woman Carolyn Dunham, I think her name is, don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, accused Emmett Till and grand jury down in Mississippi said, nah, no charges, no bill. I just don't understand if we could hold those accountable, we could move the goalpost forward. Yeah. If we could just hold, can someone be held accountable for taking a man away? That's really what, what this is about. Yeah, that's right. Well said, all right, we got more on the other side. It's indisputable stick and stay. Welcome back, we have a lot of show left. Let me read some of these comments. I don't have a lot of time, but we'll read as many as I can. I appreciate everyone for joining the show, all right? Lynn says, Trump and his crew are going to a lot of trouble simply because Trump made a perfect phone call. It's a good point, he said it was perfect. Uh, Moon Dragon, thank you, Moon Dragon. So anytime a DA investigates a person of a different color, it's automatically racist. Interesting. Uh, member for nine months, Rylan Ian, thank you so much for your support. If you don't stop, we don't stop. You damn right. That's how this works. All right. You you'll take a day off when they do. Gabby Mathis, member for nine months, thank you. Love your reporting, Doc. Totally addicted to TYT. Keep it up in your busy life. Love you back. Thank you so much for inviting us in. Twitch, 
Trekkie 21. Also, I would like someone to propose that cops should be building the buckhead <laughs> as a compromise to see. <laughs> Listen, I'm laughing because what you're saying is the gospel truth. Uh, if they propose to build it in Buckhead, it'll shut down immediately, okay? Um, and see what the reaction to those crying about crime situation will say. You gotta laugh, not to cry. What you're saying is the gospel truth, great point, all right? All right, got something for you. Ladies and gentlemen, I wish a Karen would. You wanna call the police on them for having a barbecue on a in Sunday? You're gonna feel free, back off! I'm gonna tell them there's an African American man threatening my life. Put the picture up for a mass here. According to the poster, this individual is some kind of Hollywood director. I do not have that information conclusively. This happened in LA. Uh, but you see that picture right there. You see that move right there? That move says, this is what my dad would tell me that move is. He would say, son, uh, that is, he's not going to bust the soft side of a grape. That's what that move is. He tells him, hold on, buddy, stay right there as he fake calls the police and flees the scene. <laughs> I've never seen anything like it, but it is quite hilarious that he got really upset with everybody who was actually being reasonable with the guy. Uh, Sharon, I'm not in Hollywood, you are. Is this the way directors <laughs> typically conduct themselves um, at establishments around the city? For Nickelodeon, I suspect <laughs> they do. Okay, Dr. Richie, how do you expect me to follow that? I just, this is wonderful just to see uh, and for you to break it down that way. There's not much more I can add on that. It is what it is. <laughs> Nick, I would like Nickelodeon. Somebody, yeah, okay. I would like somebody to tell me who he is. Like, if you really know who the guy is, <laughs> I would be fascinated to know what he does for a living. <laughs> okay, all right, got something for you. Double dose. You want to call the police on him for having a barbecue on a and Sunday? You're going to feel free. Gentlemen, 
You all are gonna be too tired to fight, you keep arguing this way. All right, save some of that energy in case it gotta go down. Listen, I do not advocate violence, all right? But that angry over, I don't know, maybe somebody denying that they did something, I'm not sure. Uh, let's put up the picture full mask. Don't know who this fella is either. Okay, that's it right there. We got it. He put up the do sign. Don't know him. Don't know who he is. I hope the woman knew who he was because he did grab her phone. But we're not even sure about that. Sharon, I need you to try to make sense of this. This is quite possibly a cackle of Karen's. I cannot conclusively say so, but it is possible, according to my sources, that everyone involved in this situation. Or in fact, Karen's. Oh, you probably you're usually right. So let's go with that. And my only observation, comment, hope is that everyone's breath was fresh. These are incredibly <laughs> close talkers, Dr. Ritchie. Yeah. And I mean, it better be minty fresh if you're gonna run it down that way. Yeah, they gotta back up a taste. Just back yeah, up a taste. This is All right. hair. Yeah. We got more on the other side. It's indisputable. Stick and stay. Welcome back, we have a lot of show. Let me read some of the comments. Jonathan says, yes, LA is full of people like this. Fascinating. Texas says, I'm pretty sure getting in someone's face like that is assault. Uh, but either way, I hear him so hard his grandchildren would feel it. I mean, it is aggressive movement, can be considered um, a necessity to defend yourself. You would actually be legally okay. If somebody got in your face like that, you can assume something is about to happen. You defend yourself. I see Michael Henson. Uh, the male Karen said, deuces. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for that, C. Michael. I appreciate you, man. All right. Indisputable exclusive. Police officer allegedly cheating on certification exams in order to become cops. I kid you not, we have whistleblowers who are police officers inside of the department who have uncovered this but because of the normative chain of command. And frankly, because they are afraid of the police, they have not come forward, but they did come to indisputable. Let me give you the highlights, let's put up the pictures, all right? Give you the background. This is in Riverdale, Georgia. We've reported on Riverdale before. Riverdale, Georgia police officers allegedly, according to whistleblowers, they allege supervisors in their departments were caught cheating on their licensing exams. Yet, Captain Kirby Three and Lieutenant Vishna uh, Vishna Shring, both of them are front and center in this investigation. Let's keep it up. On June 14, 2018, whistleblowers say the pair led a 911 dispatcher, Lisa Jones into the department to take a police certification exam. You heard what I just said, a 911 operator taking a police certification exam. Why would the 911 operator know more about the certification exam? Let me explain. The exam is full of language about code, something that a 911 operator is already trained on. But the police need to be trained on this as well. If they get it wrong, call in the wrong code, somebody may die. Very important dynamic. There's more. Let's put the pictures back up. 
The exam, interestingly enough, gives the officers the authority to run driver's license, registrations, license plate. If you fail, you cannot legally look up anybody's information, basically making you inoperable as a cop. How can you perform your basic fundamental investigative duties? Now, let me give you the screen captures, all right? I got two of them. These are two screen captures confirming the two officers took the test on the same date. I have the evidence right here, June 14th, 2018 with the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. Let me go to the next screen capture. It shows Officer Shring logged in with Officer 3 email. Take a good look at it. Captain 3, who now oversees the department's internal affairs, allegedly struggled with the test because he has difficulty reading, according to insiders. The Riverdale Department Information Technology Manager, Adrian Campbell, confirmed to someone in the department he saw video of the 911 dispatcher admitted into the officer, into the offices at about two o'clock in the morning. What you're looking at is an exchange. I'm going to Read what it says. One person says, hey, I have a question for you. It's in reference to a video that was pulled in reference to Lisa Jones back in 2018. Campbell, who is the technology manager, says, and I quote, I explained to Linda Barthel yesterday, that we do not have the capacity to store video that long, 21 days is the threshold. Other individual, but do you remember it? Campbell, yes, I remember. One of the whistleblowers reported the incident to the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, but says they were not given a response. Indisputable reached out by email with the evidence proved and provided. To the Georgia Bureau of Investigation directly, Nellie Miles stated she would get back to us. There is the email right there from Nellie Miles from the Georgia Bureau of Investigations. Nellie is the director of the Office of Public and Governmental Affairs. There's more. Current officers in the Riverdale Department agreed that the cheating scandal is an open secret in the department. Following the incident, anonymous sources say department policy has changed to require an agency coordinator be present to proctor the exam. Why did they not have this proctored initially? We do not know, we have no idea. Let's put it up. Indisputable received an employment record for dispatcher Lisa Jones. That states she was fired four days after the alleged cheating incident. It states employment status terminated, we have it right there. Indisputable also received a copy of an email from the Riverdale Human Resources Manager, Terry Rapier to City Clerk, Sylvia Vaughn. Rapier says the three city employees involved in the alleged scandal were all employed at the time of the incident. We have it right there. Where does the buck stop? Who's in charge? Once again, the dynamic duo.
Chief Todd Spivey and Mayor Evelyn Dixon. Once again, has been front and center, multiple investigations, multiple stories, multiple allegations. Representatives of the city and the police department did not respond to indisputables request for comment. We have more information. Now, at some point, this has to come to a resolution. The citizens of Riverdale are not happy about what's happening with the police department. Members of law enforcement are not happy. And those who are auxiliary to the police department but work in some capacity with the police department are not happy. Uh, this is not okay, let me say this in all due respect. If there's an issue, if there's a challenge with capacity to read, let's find out a way to get the person assisted. If this is a dynamic associated with simply not wanting to study or do the job, it's a different story. But at the end of the day, it is dangerous for an officer to not actually know the proper codes needed to call in for a victim or even a suspect. Not only does it put that person in danger, it puts the responding officers in a precarious situation that could be either A, dangerous for them or B, life changing because they assumed it was one thing when it was another. This is not good, no matter how you chop it up. Um, let's put up our indisputable graphic just in case anyone in this country would like to contact us about issues, corruption, bias, unfairness. We're here. Our investigative team led by our investigative producer, they are thorough, right? Share thoughts here. They're thorough, they're incredible. This is an incredible investigative piece. And I don't want to make light of it. This, we have a DA in Fulton County who loves a RICO charge. Okay, first yeah. with the Atlanta teachers, remember that? Yep. The cheating scandal, now the rappers. Here's a RICO. Yep. If there's any way we can get her to that jurisdiction, because you're right, right the implications, incredibly serious. Yeah. There's developments I'm sure will come typically when we break a story like this. Other members of that department will contact us, give us for the detail. Madam Mayor, it's an easy way to perhaps remedy the problem before it becomes too much for you. Do the right thing through the leadership prowess that you currently have. Obviously, this is not going to be sustainable very long, right? All right, we're gonna follow this story and give you the updates as they come. We are thankful that the GBI did respond and that they are in fact on top of it. Everybody turn their video on. I'm not afraid to take a stand. Everybody come take my hand this world together all through the storm. Everybody, come take my hand, this world will rock together through the rain. But I'm a queen. Let's bring a little Detroit to town, a little bit of Radiohead. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. 
Okay, listen, whatever he's going through, obviously he needed to get that off his chest. I'm going to highlight something else. The police were there. He defied multiple lawful commands to leave. He was told at the beginning, you will be arrested. He was not proving that law enforcement can actually de-escalate or just shut the hell up and let somebody be loud. This is ironic because what we've seen on this show, what we've seen in our reporting and the victims of police misconduct is that when a particular person of a particular hue will have the audacity to simply ask a question that's appropriate, police officers tend to get irate. But in this case, they allowed an irate individual to take over that facility. Now, we'll say this, he wasn't hurting anyone. He didn't attack anybody. He was loud and disruptive, yes. But the police handled it the way, well, I guess, to preserve his life, not give him an arrest record. All right, this dog, he could have obviously been taken off that property, charged criminally with trespass, probably resisting arrest, maybe even obstruction. We've mm-hmm. seen that happen routinely. None of that happened because the police decided to just let him chill, get it out of his system. They walked him out, no incident beyond that. Mm-hmm. And, and your point is so valid. You know, why is it that it happens sometimes and not others? I mean, yeah. we want it to happen. We just want it to happen more often, right? Um, and more equally. And so, although I don't want to say like, I wish they hadn't done that because, you know, when you're dealing, 
maybe that was the right thing to do. But like you said, you wish you had more often. I have to say, watching it too, I was just really glad it didn't happen on the airplane. You know, he's in yeah. the airport, and that's a much more like scary place. I feel right. like for something like that to happen because you're so trapped, and these poor flight attendants are having to deal with like so much more. I couldn't quite tell if he had. It sounded like he just got off the airplane. Um, so yeah, I think that I'm glad that you are pointing that out because. Uh, they should all take a page from that book. And you know, when you're dealing, like try to de-escalate it, like you said. Yeah, yeah. listen, he broke his own glass. <laughs> all right, he broke his own glass, okay? All right, we got more. You don't wanna mess with a man that'll break his own shades. That's my point, okay? <laughs> Remember the story we covered about a realtor and his son, they go to a home, police come. Let me remind you of the video because something has now happened in this story, here it is. Neighbors are calling in that you guys are breaking into the place. I'm the realtor. Okay, very good. Right here? Yeah. This work? Yeah. Something like for real estate? Yeah. This thing works on the satellite? Okay. Yeah, he's a realtor. Okay. So, why this happened? Uh, he kind of I mean, explained a little bit. He was obviously here last, last, last week with, a, with that neighbors calling, uh, you know, looking over the house, going, right. "Hey, there's same cars back." I mean, I do apologize. Obviously, it's, I, I mean, thank you for just going along with it. Put up the judge who has now dismissed a credible case, US District Judge Hala Jabu, who was nominated by then President Trump in 2020, has now dismissed the lawsuit filed by the black real estate agent who was held at gunpoint with his client and 15 year old son by the police. According to uh, according to M Live, the judge also dismissed claims against the city of Wyoming and the police chief, Kimberly Coaster. Judge Jabu said the five officers who responded to the break in call had qualified immunity. There it is, qualified immunity and probable cause to detain the three due to the 911 call. Jabu said in her decision, and I quote, this is not a rare and obvious case where the unlawfulness of the individual defendant's conduct is sufficiently clear, said Jabu. The judge added that because one of the police officers who responded to the call, Logan Weaver, had eyewitness information that the plaintiffs were breaking and entering the house, probable cause had been established. He continued, probable cause in this case stems not only from a reasonably trustworthy eyewitness, but also from the corroboration of the eyewitnesses assertions by the individual officers on the scene, wrote Jabu. The fact that Weaver did not recognize plaintiffs once they exited the home weakens, but does not defeat the existence of probable cause. You know, it is interesting, Judge, that you split hairs on the probable cause dynamic. Um, because according to the Supreme Court ruling on 
probable cause. Um, the individual, the witness has to be known as credible if there's no additional information to corroborate. How did the police officers know that the person who called was credible without any investigative process? I'm just telling you what the Supreme Court says, ma'am. You may want to look at it. Background on the lawsuit. Eric Brown was meeting with his client, Roy Thorne, in August of 2021 to show him a vacant house he was selling. Brown and Thorne filed a lawsuit in October of 2021 in the US District Court for the Western District of Michigan, claiming their civil rights were violated. Lawsuit also claimed that the police detained them unlawfully, used excessive force, and intentionally inflicted emotional distress. Thorne had previously noted that the handcuffs on him were too tight, but Jarbu said that the police did not use excessive force because the police officers with their guns drawn did not know if the plaintiffs had weapons and the plaintiffs could not prove they were treated differently than any individuals of another race in a similar situation. So judge, you think that if a white real estate agent was in that home, that would have happened? The same way, you know, good and damn well it would not have. All right, Sharon, thoughts here. Uh, you read a lot from the judge there. The order, very succinct, laying out a case of really fraudulent reasoning, and I think you pointed that out, Dr. Ritchie. It would have been a lot better if she just kept it real, just yeah. just kept it a buck, and just said <laughs> Black lives don't matter. That's mm-hmm. really what what you read. That's what she meant. Yeah, and they can, they have discretion when it comes to these dynamics like probable cause or um, reasonable suspicion, etc. Courts have discretion here, all right? Other courts would have ruled the other way, I guarantee you. There are some judges would have said, nope, you could not vet the credibility of the individual. You should have done that to establish proper probable cause to do what you did. All right, we got more on the other side. It's indisputable, stick and stay. Welcome back, we got a lot of show left. Let me read a couple of these amazing comments. Um, thank you for this sweet peas. Cop cheated, say it isn't so. You mean they fit in with the culture? Uh, C. Michael Henson, thank you, C. Michael. I wonder how many other officers around the country are guilty of the same thing, talking about the cheating scandal, with everything happening with policing in this country. And it could also explain why these things Go sideways, talking about calling in the wrong code or saying one thing in a dispatcher, saying, here's what happened. Maybe the cop called in the wrong code. This deserves further review. All right. A child does the right thing. Here's a student basically talking about coming the next day and killing people. Student reports it to the mom. The mom Contacts the principal. Principal says, nothing to see here. By the way, your child will no longer be allowed to come to this school. Injustice, I tell you, put up a picture of the school. I'm going to do this right. 13 year old eighth grader who currently attends Lakeview Middle School in Louisville, Texas, was suspended after she overheard a classmate telling another student, don't come to school tomorrow and became concerned about a possible school shooting threat. 
She did not think much of it at first, but by the end of the school day, she couldn't shake those words. Her childhood had been punctuated by prior shootings like Newton, Parkman, Vivaldi. She decided to tell her friends and what she thought it could mean. This is genuinely, genuinely scaring the ish out of me. She messaged half a dozen friends in a group, 4.42 PM. One minute later, let's see if I can tell my mom without crying, okay? This was impacting the young lady. Lisa Youngblood was on a Zoom when her daughter got home on that late January day. The girl texted her that she really needed to tell her mom about something that happened at school. It was important. Together, they prepared to report their concern to the Lakeview Middle School. Before they could dial the number, Youngblood's phone rang. It was the assistant principal who had already gotten wind of the situation. She listened to the girl's story on the phone <clears throat> and a school police officer started an investigation. Police quickly determined the child in question did not have access to a gun. According to a January 6th incident report, there was no, no threat to the campus was the conclusion of the investigation. Relieved, Youngblood's daughter felt okay when she went to school the next morning. Then as her first period science class discussed the periodic table, she was called to the office. The assistant principal determined the girl had made a false accusation about school safety. Her punishment would be three days of suspension followed by 73 days, which was the rest of her eighth grade at an alternative school, all right? Youngblood learned that despite black students only making up 12% of the student population, almost one third of students put into an alternative school in the last school year were black. Of the 557 students sent to the alternative schools in Louisville, 245 were sent because of decisions made by school administrators. Put them up. Lakeview Middle. Principal Dr. Barry Deister, Assistant Principals Charlotte Samples in the center and Anthony Dancer on the right. Buck stops with them, they are in charge. During a February 8th appeals hearing, Principal Deister questioned the teen about why she messaged her friends to which the 13 year old answered she wanted her friends to be safe. Deister further questioned, how did it go from don't come to school to guns? The 13 year old plot today, that's what you think of. Answer. Assistant Principal Samples has said the teen has several hours to report her concerns, but when she texted her friends instead, she had a great impact. Director of Student Services at Louisville Schools, Rebecca Clark, said the district did not punish the teen for reporting a safety concern, and school administrators considered disciplinary consequences when students have spread rumors rather than following the appropriate steps to notify a trusted adult. Or using, um, uh, using LISD's anonymous reporting options. This is insanity, is it not? There's more. Young Blood refused to send her daughter to the alternative school and instead had her complete as much work as possible at home while she appealed the decision. One thing I'm not going to do is send my child to the prison pipeline. 
Youngblood said in an interview, during that time, the 13 year old had panic attack, nightmare, and withdrew from her friend. At a time when schools and children are told to stay vigilant to prevent the next shooting. Louisville Independent School District's response exposed the black eighth grader to a level of harsh discipline that research shows has a disproportionate impact on children of color and potentially devastating effects as children navigate the beginning of their lives. After second appeal by Youngblood, the school finally walked back the punishment, but the eighth grader missed three weeks of school over this ordeal. The boy who made the comment was also punished and received in school suspension, as well as time at the alternative school. Youngblood's daughter noted that if she ever heard something that could be considered a threat again at the school, she would not tell anyone. Who messed this up? Not the children, the adults did. So let's analyze what the two children did. One child says something that was ambiguous, but seemed to be possibly a threat. Child overhears it, thinks about it, talks about it among her peer group, is convinced I need to tell my mom. Too many things happen. Let me tell my mom just in case. See something, say something. Is what they say. So she does. What happened? She gets a penalty harsher than the person who made the comment. And it wasn't until media got involved and community got involved that the school decided to reverse their particular conclusion. They literally interrogated a 13 year old and posed questions like, well, well, why did you tell other people first? She says, because I wanted my friends to be safe. She literally completely destroyed their argument against her while they were trying to trip her up as if somehow she just made it up. Now, was her conclusion wrong? Fine, fine, her conclusion can be wrong. But whose conclusion was actually harmful? Yours, your mistake created harm. All of the adults were wrong here, evidenced by the fact they overturned their own ruling. So don't lecture me, anybody else, about the child being wrong. All right, sharing thoughts here. Schools are built too often to give students of color their first lesson about American society. That's That's really, they needed to break this Mm. student Mm. and inform this student to take a look in the mirror and understand that justice will be what we say. And we'll change it whenever we want to. To the young lady, you're bold, you're courageous, you did the right thing. You did the right thing. Continue your journey of truth telling. Do not allow those around your orbit to define who you are because you give them the victory. Be you, be authentic, be bold, be fearless. Sharon, always a pleasure having you on the program. Tell people how they can follow you, check out your great work. At Sharon Reed Live, Rebel HQ, always appreciate you, Dr. Ritchie. And I don't believe that you would hit anybody so hard that their grandparents, I think you said, would feel it. That's just, you wouldn't do it, would you? I'm from Glenwood Road, if the circumstance calls for it. I'll be your backup then. (laughs) I know you would. (laughs) I appreciate you sharing, thank you. We got more on the other side, the bullpen is next, stick and stay. Welcome back, let's get it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the bullpen. 
We have a special bullpen today. Dear friend, commissioner in Fulton County, that's in Atlanta, Georgia, Marvin Arrington Jr. Noted as a national super lawyer, educator in a previous life. The man has done all of it, all right? Um, so here's what I wanna do. It is an interesting dynamic that you and I, Commissioner, are in a documentary, a movie documentary that you directed, wrote, all of it. It's about your father, a remarkable man. Before we get into that, tell those who are watching what this documentary is about. Well, thank you, Dr. Richie. This is the rags to riches story of Marvin Arrington Sr., a young boy who grew up in the Grady Holmes Projects, uh, who went on to integrate Emory Law School, get elected to the Atlanta Board of Aldermen, uh, get elected to the Atlanta City Council as president of the Atlanta City Council, run for mayor, and then go on to become a Superior Court judge. Uh, in Fulton County, the largest trial bench in the state of Georgia. I think we actually have some of the um, segment from that documentary. It's a remarkable documentary. You can find it everywhere. We're going to tell people where to find it at. Uh, do we have some of that? If so, let's go to it. It's important to understand how to walk in a corporate boardroom and how to walk into a barbershop in Bankhead the same way. Okay, the reason why that's important is because you become a bridge and a connector. And that's something that Arrington did without effort. He did it effortlessly, right? He could walk into these various rooms and be just as respected as anyone else in those buildings. So fascinating, the life of your father um, who paved the way, authentically paved the way for people like you, me, many others because of his unapologetic leadership style, his direct approach, and his ability to solve real problems. Um, you have everybody in this documentary, man, that gives um, a glimpse, not really a glimpse, but more so a historical overview of how Atlanta became Atlanta. Who are some of the people in the documentary, Commissioner? Well, we're so blessed to have Governor Roy Barnes, Mayor Shirley Franklin, Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms, uh, Mayor Kasim Reed, uh, former Congressman Kwanzaa Hall, uh, uh, and uh, Mayor Andrew, Ambassador Andrew Young, right. uh, amongst others. Uh, and uh, Lynn Vaughn is mm -hmm. the narrator, and she did a tremendous job, did it in one take, Rashad. You told me that. I said, come on, man. <laughs> one take? I mean, That's she is a true professional. She is a true professional. Love it. This was important. Let me tell you what happened, man. Over the weekend, uh, it was Sunday, I had my dad over to the house, we were doing dinner together uh, and we were catching up. And dad said, uh, can I watch the documentary you're in, uh, Bow Legs? I said, absolutely. So we put it on and I've already seen, it. I actually saw it on the Delta flight cause it's on Deltas, a few other places. And man, it was such a meaningful moment because it's literally one of the very few things that all generations can watch together and everybody gets something very significant out of it. And I did not realize how much we lack that kind of programming today, where it is in fact multi-generational. It is in fact safe for all age groups. And there's this dynamic of connection because you are able to bridge the then and the now. So everyone has context here, they can understand it. And it gives you an insight into the civil rights movement 
and what it produced, what kind of leaders came from that. Individuals who cared deeply about community and also understood who the real enemy was. Talk to us about that dynamic of the documentary. Well, yes, uh, absolutely. My dad was a student at Clark College at the time uh, and uh, of Dr. King's assassination in April of 68. Uh, and it was Lonnie King, one of the Atlanta student movement activists that convinced him to run for the board of aldermen. Mm -hmm. uh, and so he ran in November of 68, took office in 69. The first day that he took office, uh, Dr. Ritchie, uh, they still had separate water fountains and bathrooms for white people and colored people. He immediately went to the white water fountain and said, I dare someone to say something. Uh, and then immediately drafted legislation to get rid of those separate water fountains for white people and I guess colored as they as were called at the time. You know, a few years ago, your dad had an unfortunate situation at a gas station, okay? This is the renowned Judge Aaron. He's at a gas station and his car gets stolen. You and I have a conversation. I learned that the gas station had over 70 car thefts within one year. There's no security, there's no camera, there's not a lot of light, making it a perfect place for that kind of conduct. I contacted uh, the store owner. Listen, you gotta get security, you gotta get cameras, you gotta get some light out here. I was opposed. I contacted the then chairman of the Fulton County Commission. Hey, basically, doc, we don't have much control over this. I said, okay. I shut down that entire store uh, that weekend. Myself, Big Haroon, my best friend, God rest his soul, and listeners to the radio show. We went out there and we stood around that store and we would not let anyone in and it shut down their entire business. By that Monday, the chairman of the county said, we have a solution. Yes, it was a beautiful, beautiful day, Rashad. Uh, thanks to you, definitely big shout out uh, to Brother Haroon. Um, you know, came out there and stood with us. Uh, we marched. So thankful uh, that people came out to support him. Uh, you know, he had been supporting the community uh, for over forty years, giving back to the city that he loves. Uh, and I think, you know, it's important that because Atlanta is the way it is now because they were intentional about inclusion. They were intentional uh -huh. about minority and female involvement. Uh, and he served as city council president under Maynard Jackson, under Andrew Young, under Maynard again, uh, and then under Bill Campbell. So he was kind of the glue to help keep the city together despite the changes in administration. One of the most remarkable dynamics of Marvin Arrington Sr., Judge Arrington, was that he had this ability to understand what was important and what was not. It takes a lot of wisdom. It sounds simple, but it takes a lot of wisdom to figure that part out in life, to understand what's important and what is not important, right? And he engaged in what we would consider today to be progressive principles, equitable principles where he was intentional about making sure that historically marginalized communities had an opportunity and that opportunity was a real opportunity because you had to consider why, why was there this bias? Why was there this 
an equal outcome. You had to remedy, remedy it from the origin, and he did this. Why do you think, before, before uh, it was really popular, you know? Why do you think he understood that dynamic more so than most? I'm not just talking about conservatives. He understood it more so than most Democrats did. How do you think that happened? Well, I think it's his legal background, right? Um, one of the things that Judge Clarence Cooper says is that they were looking for ways to be involved in the civil rights movement. And the way that they saw it was by going to law school. And they need they saw that, you know, they had to have lawyers sue to get more political candidates. That's so right. it wasn't just as simple as, oh, we're gonna run for office. No, you had to sue to run for office. In fact, Rashad, I know you'll appreciate this as a law school student. He had to act, my father had to sue the state bar because they were not allowing any blacks admission. And so he got with the ACLU to sue the state bar in order to allow blacks to be admitted. And so I think it was just their way of contributing. It was the backlash, it was the outpouring of support that was a result of the assassination uh, of Dr. King, right? Yep. Every, at that point, it, it, it galvanized and energized everyone to get involved in some shape, form, or fashion. Uh, and he and Judge Cooper chose uh, to follow the legal path. This is such a remarkable documentary. I'm not saying it just because I'm in it. I mean, this thing is such a jewel. Uh, and your success, the success of this documentary is proof of that jewel. Uh, for those who are watching, you wanna know about the movement, you want to understand the dynamics and nuances of black leadership and what was required for black leadership. What I want you to do is get this documentary. Um, it's going to be fascinating and a great education for you and your family. Uh, Commissioner, how can they get the documentary? Uh, so they can uh, visit bowlegsatl.com. That's B-O-L-E-G-S-A-T-L.com. It's also available on uh, Apple TV, Google, and Amazon Prime Video. Bowlegsatl.com, bowlegsatl.com. Um, I told you this before, man, I'm going to echo it again. Just as your father was a great humanitarian, uh, is a great humanitarian and a great public servant, you too are the same, all right? I appreciate your leadership, brother. Thank you, Dr. Richie. I, I've got big shoes to follow, but uh, he loaded the bases, so I just got a back clean up. That's right, that's right. All right, my friend. All right, my friend. Thank you. Remember. Take care of yourself, take care of each other, take care of the planet. Remember the truth is always indisputable.